everyone. This is Joy Keller, Ideas Executive Editor, and I am so excited to welcome you to Ideas Listen and Learn CEC podcast, the fitness industry's first and only Audible CEC program. Now we know how busy you are, so we wanted to provide a handy way to help you listen, learn, and earn credits toward your certification renewal. Research has shown that physical activity increases comprehension. So whether you're out for a run, working out, or just doing the dishes, now you can cement your learning through this convenient option. Thank you for joining us. This episode contains information that has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 approval agencies, including ACE, NASM, AFA, ACSM, NSCA, and NFPT. In order to claim your CEC, you will need to pass a short quiz available for purchase in the Idea Store. Look for the link to the quiz in the show notes. In this episode, I will read 21 articles, 9 from our Headlines News section, and 12 from our Food for Thought News section. This collection of evidence based news stories will bring you up to date on fitness trends exercise research, and the dynamic fields of diet, food, nutrition, and behavior change science. First, I will read nine articles from our headline section that were researched by our colleague and award-winning contributing editor, Shirley Archer. These were originally published in the July-August edition of Fitness Journal. In addition to the link in the show notes, the articles and the quiz can also be found at ideafit.com under the Articles tab. Article 1. Winning with Battle Ropes. Study shows fitness benefits in just three weeks. Battle rope workouts, the ones clients love to hate, offer a great reason to get back into the gym. In a six-week study of 18 men and 15 women, ages 21 to 25, Researchers found that high-intensity interval sessions with battle ropes improved muscle and aerobic performance in three weeks, and there was even more improvement after six weeks. Participants experienced gains in upper body VO2 max, shoulder flexion and extension strength, shoulder power output, and push-up and sit-up endurance. Workouts consisted of 10 half-minute bouts of all-out effort, interchanging between double and alternating whip exercises. 60 seconds of rest followed each work bout. Participants trained three times per week for six weeks, and midway through, study leaders increased the rope weight by 10 pounds. This study is published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. Article 2. Testing Testosterone Therapy Exercise offers more benefits than supplements. If clients ask about the benefits of supplemental testosterone, you can share that circuit training provides more health benefits, particularly for vascular health, than testosterone cream for men with low to normal testosterone levels, according to a recent study. Researchers from the University of Western Australia in Perth conducted the study in response to growth in testosterone sales. Previous studies are mixed as to whether replacement testosterone is beneficial or not, or whether it provides additional benefit over and above the effects of an exercise program, said Principal Investigator Daniel J. Green, Ph.D., 
professor and cardiovascular exercise physiology researcher. Investigators randomized 78 men, ages 50 to 70, with no history of cardiovascular disease, higher than normal waist circumference, and low to normal testosterone levels, into four groups. Testosterone with no exercise, testosterone with exercise, placebo with exercise, and placebo with no exercise. The exercise program featured a supervised circuit of cardiovascular and strength exercises, which the men performed two to three times a week for 12 weeks. Data analysis revealed that exercise training increased testosterone levels, but exercise plus cream further boosted the hormone. More importantly, arterial function and health improved only in groups that received exercise training, with or without testosterone supplementation. Those who received testosterone therapy but did not exercise showed no arterial health improvements. Testosterone therapy may have some benefits, for example, in increasing muscle mass in the legs. However, we didn't find any benefits in terms of artery function, which is a determinant of future cardiovascular risk, said Green. He advised doing additional research on more subjects. The study is available in hypertension. Article 3. Foam Rolling. Does Vibration Help? New study shows improvements in range of motion. If you've ever wondered whether a vibration foam roller offers advantages over a more traditional foam roller, a small study may shed some light. Findings suggest that differences may be muscle-specific and that vibration foam rolling can lead to a slightly greater increase in range of motion. Investigators from the University of Graz in Austria studied 21 male subjects who used either a foam roller or a foam roller with vibration on the leg extensors on two separate days. Each intervention consisted of three one-minute sessions. Findings for peak torque contraction and passive resistance torque were similar for both types of rollers, but only the vibration roller showed improvement in hip extension ROM. Study authors recommend that individuals who play sports requiring greater flexibility may want to use vibration foam rolling to maximize performance. The findings were published in European Journal of Applied Physiology. Article 4. Stretch to Improve Hypertension. Flexibility Helps Lower Blood Pressure More Than Walking. Here's some good news for people who favor flexibility in their workouts. Regular stretching may be more effective than brisk walking for improving hypertension in those with high normal blood pressure, according to findings from the University of Saskatchewan and University of Regina. Everyone thinks stretching is just about stretching your muscles, said study co-author Phil Chilebeck, Ph.D., kinesiology professor at the University of Saskatchewan. But when you stretch your muscles, you're also stretching all the blood vessels that feed into the muscle, including all the arteries. If you reduce the stiffness in your arteries, there's less resistance to blood flow. Investigators conducted the study with 40 older men and women, mean age 61, who had stage 1 hypertension, that's systolic pressure of 130 to 139, diastolic pressure of 80 to 89, the stretching group members did a whole-body routine, 30 minutes a day, 5 days per week, 
while brisk walkers exercised for the same amount of time and frequency. Walking group members lost more body fat, but stretching participants experienced greater reductions in blood pressure. Study authors noted that the takeaway message is to add more stretching, not to reduce cardiovascular training. I don't want people to come away from our research thinking they shouldn't be doing some form of aerobic activity, says Chilibeck. Things like walking, biking, or cross-country skiing all have a positive effect on body fat, cholesterol levels, and blood sugar. You can find the study in the Journal of Physical Activity and Health. Article 5. It's sleep for the win. Adjusting your circadian rhythm may lead to a competitive advantage. Olympic swimmers clock faster times at 5 p.m., according to research from a Stanford University circadian biologist, Rinsky Loke, Ph.D., and an international team of scientists. They analyzed Olympic swim times of 72 female and 72 male swimmers between 2004 and 2016. Data analysis showed that time of day strongly affected performance, with fastest times occurring around 5.12 p.m., a 0.32% improvement relative to 8 a.m. Although this amounts to fractions of seconds for swimmers, it can mean the difference between a gold medal and a bronze. Study authors suggest that, to take advantage of this effect, athletes could wake up earlier or later to adapt their potential for peak performance to the time of the final competition. Personal trainers may want to explore this concept in an effort to fine-tune a client's program. The study is available in Scientific Reports. Article 6. Yoga and Eating Disorders Practicing yoga may reduce binge eating and other issues. Yoga may play a valuable role in treating eating disorders, according to a comprehensive study review published in Eating Disorders. Researchers from the University at Buffalo reviewed 11 randomized controlled trials involving 754 subjects. Yoga interventions had a small but significant effect on global eating disorders, a moderate to large effect on binge eating and bulimia, and a small effect on body image concerns when compared with control conditions. Researchers concluded that yoga may be an effective approach supporting the prevention and treatment of eating disorders. In another small study conducted with participants in an eight-week Kripalu yoga program for women with symptoms of bulimia and binge eating disorders, Canadian researchers found encouraging evidence that yoga could play a valuable role in the treatment of eating disorders. These findings are also available in eating disorders. Margaret A. Brennan, Ph.D., lead study author and registered psychologist, told Fitness Journal that, while the study didn't look into this, she thinks yoga teachers can do a lot to create a safe space for participants. She suggests using invitational language as opposed to commands, encouraging students to listen to their bodies while being compassionate with themselves. Brennan also recommends that young teachers avoid making comparisons, never comment on a student's body or their own, and respectfully accommodate students with larger bodies. Article 7. Muscle pain relief is skin deep. Topical NSAIDs are an effective first line of defense. Many people are justifiably concerned about the increased reliance on opioids for pain, and are looking for alternative ways to relieve muscle pain. 
In an effort to address this concern, medical community leaders are actively recommending the use of topical solutions as a first means of finding relief. The American College of Physicians and the American Academy of Family Physicians developed evidence-based guidelines to provide clinical recommendations on non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic management from acute, non-lower back pain and musculoskeletal injuries in adults. The first recommendation is that clinicians treat people with acute pain from non-lower back musculoskeletal injuries with topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs with or without menthol gel. This is a first-line therapy to reduce or relieve symptoms. Examples of topical NSAIDs include Voltaren, Neurofen, Orudis, Indesin, and Feldine. To read the complete recommendations, go to Annals of Internal Medicine. Article 8. Lifting to Lose. Strength training is more beneficial than high-protein intake for older women. Preserving muscle strength and function and maintaining a healthy body composition are important objectives for older women. In a study about strength, functional ability, and weight loss, researchers from the University of Georgia in Athens found that exercise beats a high-protein diet for preserving muscle, strength, and function during a weight loss program, and that combining the two interventions does not necessarily improve results. What's reinforced by the study is if older women are trying to lose weight, they really need to incorporate exercise into their weight loss programs, said lead study author Ellen Evans, Ph.D., kinesiology professor and director of the Center for Physical Activity and Health at UGA. Look for the study in Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise. Article 9. Elastic Band Training for Older Women Twice-weekly training yielded significant health benefits. With more people showing interest in resistance band training, no doubt for its convenience, low price, and easy portability, along with how easy it is for beginners to get started, researchers from Serbia and Croatia decided to study the effects of exercise modality in a chair program for older women. After a 12-week program, of twice-weekly supervised training with bands, 84 women ages 66 to 84 showed significant improvements in functional fitness and in glucose, total cholesterol, and HDL and LDL levels when compared with a control group of women who did not exercise. Participants performed low-load, whole-body resistance exercises using an elastic band. The two-set training protocol consisted of 12 to 15 repetitions of each exercise per set, 40 to 60% of a one-repetition maximum, with one minute of rest between sets. These were the resistance training exercises they used. Knee extension, knee flexion, bent row, chest press, unilateral hip flexion, upright row, trunk flexion, biceps curl, overhead triceps extension, hip abduction, hip extension. Study authors noted that band training seems to be a viable training model that ensures high training adherence 
and offers an efficient strategy for preventing and reducing age-associated changes in metabolic markers and fitness levels in older women. The study appeared in the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine. That concludes the readings for headlines. Many thanks to author and contributing editor Shirley Archer for her research and writing. Next up, I'll read 12 articles from our Food for Thought news section that were researched by our colleague Matthew Cady, a registered dietitian and cookbook author who is also a James Beard award-winning journalist. These articles were originally published in the July-August edition of Fitness Journal. In addition to the link in the show notes, the articles in the quiz can also be found at ideafit.com under the Articles tab. Article 1. The Plant Conundrum. Eating more plants is no eat-better guarantee. Going from meat to no meat may result in a surprising and troubling change in the types of foods people choose to add to their diets. In a study published in the Journal of Nutrition, researchers divided more than 21,000 adults into four groups, meat eaters, pesco-vegetarians, whose diet includes fish, vegetarians and vegans, and analyzed daily food intake. The study found that vegetarians and vegans appeared to consume more ultra-processed foods. These are packaged foods like potato chips, ice cream, and the new wave of engineered meat and dairy substitutes, like foods made from textured soy protein and plant-based drinks made from soy, almond, or rice. Those who initiated a meat-free diet at a younger age were more likely to include more ultra-processed foods in their diet. Those who believe that steering clear of meat and dairy is enough to improve health should also check out a separate investigation published in the International Journal of Behavioral Nutrition and Physical Activity. Using 13 years of data from nearly 92,000 people, this study found that those with the highest likelihood of cardiovascular-related death in that time frame were more likely to eat the most ultra-processed foods. The takeaway here is that people pondering a plant-based lifestyle need to be educated on how to meet their nutrition needs using predominantly whole food options. Article 2. Souring on Sweet Fructose. Study says high fructose intake may harm the immune system. Here's another good reason why it's smart to walk away from that can of soda. A diet that is high in fructose, which suggests it contains too many sugary processed foods and drinks, could keep the body's immune system from functioning properly. And who isn't concerned about immunity these days? According to a report in Nature Communications, a team of British scientists found that exposure to high amounts of fructose intake could cause the immune system to be inflamed. This may prevent certain organs and body systems from functioning optimally and could lead to certain diseases. Article 3. Not tailored just for you. Taking a generic approach to nutrition messages may work best. Universal public nutrition messages, such as eat more whole grains, appear to be more effective at improving dietary habits than very specific advice tailored to individual needs. That's according to an investigation in the European Economic Review. 
study participants were given a set budget to buy groceries. Those who received generic health information, applicable to society as a whole, typically filled their food baskets with more healthful items, less saturated fat, and less total fat than those who received either tailored nutrition guidance to help them prevent disease or no information at all. According to the researchers, this can be because the tailored information provided actually gives a better assessment of someone's health than they may have imagined, and therefore inadvertently gives them a free pass to continue to eat unhealthily. The finding bodes well for keeping public nutrition and health messages relevant to all as an effective method of improving eating habits. Article 4. The Great Egg Debate. Study further scrambles the science on eating eggs. Anyone else notice the conflicting science on whether or not we should eat eggs for good health? Confusing matters further is recent research published in PLOS Medicine linking egg consumption and dietary cholesterol to a higher risk of death from all causes, including cardiovascular disease and cancer. The study used a food frequency questionnaire to gauge egg consumption patterns in 521,120 U.S. adults and then evaluated how this intake related to mortality during 16 years of follow-up. Since egg white intake was not linked to higher death rates from disease, the researchers said it was the cholesterol found in eggs that likely accounted for a significant part of the higher mortality risks. But here's why you need to take a closer look. This study was observational, so it could not claim cause and effect. It also seemed to assume that egg intake patterns remained unchanged among subjects throughout the study period. What's more, it was not possible to say if cholesterol from eggs was more or less harmful than cholesterol from other sources, like red meat. Perhaps a high intake of whole eggs and cholesterol is a marker of an overall unhealthy diet and lifestyle, meaning eggs are not the sole mortality culprit. This really means that the question of how many eggs you can eat without worry remains unanswered. Recommendations vary based on individual risk factors, overall dietary patterns, and which studies you look at. Article 5. 10%. This is the drop in daily fruit and vegetable consumption among a range of American age groups since 2004, according to state-of-the-plate research conducted by the Produce for Better Health Foundation. The report shows that most Americans currently eat fruits and vegetables just once each day, or even less often than that. Vegetable consumption has seen the most significant decline, with a 16% drop in frequency. Despite decades of public health efforts, America's produce intake continues to be rotten. Article 6. The Diet-Cancer Connection Fiber and calcium help. Red meat and alcohol don't. Colorectal cancer, CRC, is the second most common cancer in women and the third most commonly diagnosed cancer among men worldwide. It's also one of the deadliest. As with other forms of the disease, the ideology of CRC is multifactorial, but a handful of recent research reports suggest our dietary habits play a big role. A 45-study meta-analysis published in JAMA Network Open 
uncovered strong evidence for a lower CRC risk with higher intakes of dietary fiber, dietary calcium and yogurt, and lower intakes of alcohol and red meat. Investigators from the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, found that people who consumed more whole grains, with the special types of fiber they provide, have a lower incidence of CRC. Using data from the expansive Nurses Health Study 2, a report in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute pinpointed the Western diet, typically heavy in meat and processed foods along with their sugar, fat, and sodium, as being a greater risk factor for the early onset of a dangerous form of CRC compared with healthier, whole food dietary patterns, including Mediterranean and DASH, which stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. A review of evidence published in GUT suggests that high consumption of red meat and alcohol increases the risk of CRC, while a loftier intake of magnesium, folate, fiber, fruits, vegetables, and dairy has been linked to decreased risk. Catch the trend here? Article 6. Where's the beef? No-kill, lab-grown meat is a tough sell. To satisfy the increasing demand for food by a growing human population, cultured meat, also called in vitro or lab-grown meat, is presented by its advocates as a sustainable alternative for consumers. However, if burgers and chicken nuggets born from a lab are to take a bite out of livestock-derived proteins in the future, they will most certainly have to appeal to Generation Z consumers, loosely people born from 1995 to 2015. Generally, this demographic has a heightened concern for the environment and animal welfare. And yet, an online survey, used in a study published in Frontiers in Nutrition, found that 72% of Gen Z respondents were not ready to accept cultured meat. Respondents cited several concerns, including anticipated poor taste, health, and safety worries, and whether this is really a more sustainable option as advertised. Just 28% believed cultured meat was acceptable or possibly acceptable if the technology could be mastered. The upshot is that meat hailing from bioreactors instead of slaughterhouses will require a good PR team when, if ever, it's ready for a big rollout. Article 9. All diets can get you ripped. Plant protein can be just as effective as animal protein for muscle gains. We need two things to build muscle, resistance training and dietary protein. It's long been thought that protein from animals is superior for building bigger, stronger muscles than protein from plants. But new data show that when it comes to making muscle, a steady high-protein plant-only diet appears to work just as well. In the study, published in Sports Medicine, long-time vegan and omnivore men, average age 26, participated in a 12-week resistance training program. The men received a protein supplement, soy for vegans and whey for meat eaters, in sufficient amounts to ensure that everyone consumed 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight daily from a combination of whole foods and protein powder. At the end of three months, 
both groups showed significant improvements in muscle size and strength, with no difference between vegan and omnivore lifters. The authors concluded that as long as someone is getting the full amount of protein needed to support training, the source isn't so important. But plant-only people may need more supplementation to get the necessary servings. The researchers noted that vegan lifters needed about 58 grams a day of supplemental soy protein to get to 1.6 grams, whereas lifters in the omnivore group reached that mark with just 41 grams per day of more protein-dense whey. Further research is needed on other populations, such as women and older individuals, whose muscle-building responses to specific protein sources may differ from the responses of young men. Article 10. Skin Deep. Ten years of studies link acne breakouts to diet. If you're prone to breakouts, it may be time to tweak what you eat. A review of 11 clinical trials and 42 observational studies discussed in the International Journal of Dermatology has linked the development of acne to several dietary factors, including diets with a high glycemic index, high glycemic load. Refined carbohydrates like white bread, sodas, and ultra-processed foods, such as cookies and pastries, can raise blood sugar levels quickly and trigger a hormonal response, both of which may be related to sprouting pimples. The review showed that chocolate, fast food, and certain dairy products were also associated with acne. By contrast, including more fish in one's diet, as well as eating high amounts of fruits and vegetables for more than three days a week, help prevent the skin condition. Article 11. Nut Job. Earlier peanut introduction may curb later allergy. Data shows that about 46 million U.S. adults have a peanut allergy where exposure can bring on potentially life-threatening symptoms, including breathing impairment. Promising research suggests that earlier exposure may help curb a later allergy. A study presented at the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology's annual meeting examined children ages 1 to 4 with confirmed peanut allergy and found that 14 out of 19 who received peanut sublingual immunotherapy passed a desensitization food challenge, that's eating about 15 peanuts without serious symptoms, compared with none of the 17 in the placebo group. Further, a Melbourne, Australia study found that the prevalence of peanut allergy has fallen by 16% among 12-month-old infants since 2016, when new international feeding guidelines recommended introducing peanuts to all infants before 12 months. Article 12. Organic Oversight. USDA unveils a new plan to stamp out organic fraud. Organic food fraud, slipping in non-organic materials and portraying them as organic, is an easy opportunity for certain producers to deceive the general public. But soon you may have more confidence that your organic flour and organic beef are as advertised. In response to the industry and consumer demand for better quality control, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has released a draft of new rules aimed at stopping organic food fraud to protect integrity in the supply chain and build consumer and industry trust in the agency's certified organic label. 
The new guidelines propose updating organic regulations to mandate unannounced inspections, to implement new traceability requirements for imported products, and to put in place new oversight for the certification process. If adopted, the rules will also require organic labeling on non-retail containers, like sacks containing organic livestock feed, to reduce the mishandling of those products. It's not clear yet whether these new policies might translate to higher costs for farmers or shoppers. That marks the end of the readings for Food for Thought. Many thanks to registered dietitian and subject matter expert Matthew Cady for his research and excellent writing of Food for Thought, our popular food and nutrition news section. This concludes the education in this episode of the Idea, Listen, and Learn CEC podcast. I am so happy you joined me for this episode. I appreciate your attention and your dedication to being the best professional you can be. Quick reminder that this education has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 certification agencies. In order to claim the CEC, you will need to pass a short quiz which is available for purchase in the Idea Store. The link is in the show notes. Stay tuned! We have more exciting content that has been approved for CECs coming soon.